Father, we pray today that you would bless us as we open up your word. God, we pray that it would change us. We pray that it would transform us. We pray today, God, that your word would totally set us free from any bondage and any stronghold that we have over our lives. And to you be all the glory and to you be all the praise today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I want to share a story with you. Some of you have heard this story. But one day, a little boy was going through the neighborhood. And he was going from house to house, and he was knocking on the door, and he was asking everyone, please, may I mow your grass? And for weeks and even months, this little boy went house to house, knocking on the door, asking people if he could mow their yard. Finally, one day, one of the gentlemen said to him, son, what are you trying to raise money for? And the little boy looked at the man and he said, sir, he said, I want a bike. And I'm trying to raise enough money so I can get a bike. So the old man, thinking that he could not only help in the situation, he said to him, well, here, son, here's the deal. I've got a brand new bike that fits you perfectly that I will give you if you exchange and give me your lawnmower. So the little boy's thinking, no more grass to cut. I get a new bike. So he's like, that's a cool deal. So the little boy gives the man his mower and he takes his brand new bike and he is just styling around that neighborhood, pedaling. He is just loving life. He is living large. And all of a sudden he drives past and he sees this man and he's in his yard and he's trying to start the mower and he can't start it. So he shouts over to the little boy and says, son, come over here. What kind of mower have you given me? This thing won't start. And the little boy says, oh, you just need to know the secret. So the guy says, well, tell me what's the secret. The little boy says, what you've got to do is you've got to curse at the mower. The guy looks and he says, son, he says, I don't curse. I'm a deacon and I'm an elder in my church. And the little boy got on his bike and began to ride off. And he turned to him and he said, keep pulling. He said, it will start coming back to you. I want to talk this morning about when the, bus- when the buttons are pushed. Come on, when those buttons are pushed, come on, when you keep pulling and things start coming back to you. Don't, come on, do I have a witness in the house, you holy crowd? We're going to talk today about when the buttons are pushed in our lives. We don't like that, but it's going to happen in life. And what we're dealing with is we're talking a series dealing with offense. And what a major issue and a major obstacle it is against each one of our lives. Offense. The ability to become offended. 
It's a bait. It's that in a trap that can bait us and grab a hold of us. But today, I want to remind you again, we don't have to take the bait, and neither do we have the right to take the bait. I truly believe this series is going to be totally life-changing and liberating for so many of us, because the truth is this, most of us today sit here offended in some shape or form. We've got offense in our lives. It's in our hearts. It's a part of us. And I believe through God's word, we can be free because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. On Wednesday, I asked everyone a question and the question was this. Do you believe God has a purpose for your life? Do you believe that God has a purpose for your life? I know from God's word that God has a purpose. We weren't just saved to suck his air. We were saved to live a purpose for God. A lot of people, unfortunately, wait for that big, like, flashing lights that you need to do this. But the purpose that we have for God is to live for him every day. And to serve him. Yes, there are specific purposes. I know that God purposed me when I was a young man to be a pastor. I'm living in that purpose. But it does not negate the fact that every day I still need to trust God and look to God. So we're living in a purpose. And we discovered that when we are part of a purpose, it's taking our lives somewhere. That means we're going somewhere. When we're saved, we're not stuck still. When there's a purpose of God on our lives, it means our lives are going somewhere. There's a purpose for our lives. But you've got to understand this. If we're going to fulfill that purpose, we know there's a purpose, but fulfillment and knowing are two different things. If we're going to fulfill that purpose, we've got to follow God. Because God says, follow me. And listen, in order to follow God, you've got to be where he's at. Hello? You've got to be where he's, he is at. And you see what happens as the purpose of God is to take your life somewhere. We're following God. But what happens is when we become offended, we literally get locked down where we are at. And we do not go any further than our offense. So what happens? Our purpose is not fulfilled. Because we can't be where God's at. Because God's not stuck in our offense. Hello? God's not stuck in your offense. The kingdom of God is moving on. I said the kingdom of God is moving on. And we've got to move on. And that's why Satan wants to keep us locked down and shut in our offense. Give me a statement today. Your world is bigger than your backyard. Your world is bigger than your backyard. What am I talking about? You can put a dog in the backyard. You can put a rope or a chain on its neck and there is limitations. Now that dog can think he's living large and proud because his yard's bigger than the next dog's yard. And he can think he's got complete control of that whole yard. But I'm here to tell you today, the world is a lot bigger than your backyard. Come on, there is life the other side of the fence. And it's time that we venture out beyond our limited potential. That which is limited in our lives and we step into the limitless blessing of God. Listen to what John Bevere says in his book, The Bait of Satan. He says these words, As I travel across the United States ministering, I have been able to observe one of the enemy's most deadly and deceptive traps. It imprisons countless Christians. 
It severs relationships and it widens the existing breaches between us. What I have observed is the trap of offense. Many are unable to function properly in their calling because of the wounds and the hurts that offense has caused and brought about in their lives. They are handicapped and hindered from fulfilling their full potential. And most often I have observed that it's come through a fellow believer or someone who is close to them which has hurt them. And this causes the offense many times to feel like betrayal. This is what we're up against today. We're up against an offense that will stop us from functioning properly in our calling. We are up against that which will handicap and hinder us from fulfilling our full potential. I didn't say it will stop us completely, but it hinders, handicaps, limits. We've got too many handicapped, hindered, limited Christians sitting in the pews today. It's everywhere around us. The opportunity is endless to become offended. She looked at me wrong. She didn't look at me. She said something to me. She didn't say something to me. The opportunities to be wronged, to be hurt, to be offended are endless in our lives. And Jesus knew this because he said in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, then he said, Jesus, he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It's impossible that offense will not be brought across your path, perhaps on a multiple opportunity time every day. Another word for offense is stumbling blocks. There are stumbling blocks that have our name on to trip us up and to cause us to stumble every way we turn. They're all around us, but they don't have to be in us. The opportunities are there. But we don't have to plant those things into the garden of our hearts that will take root and grow and control our lives. Look what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2. We read these words. But know this, that in the last days, this is Paul writing to Timothy. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. That word perilous times there means times of stress. We are living today in perilous times. We are living today in times of stress. People are stressed to the max today. I mean, people are living in stress that they have never experienced before. But what does it go on to say? And it begins to list the telltale signs of those perilous days. In verse 2 it says, For men will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. They will be boasters. They will be proud. They will be blasphemers. And the list goes on and on. But look at the first few words of verse 2. It says, men will be lovers of themselves. What the Bible is telling us there is, there is an age that we are living in where selfishness is going to reign. 
and selfishness does reign, that men will love themselves, that they will think of themselves in selfishness before all other people. What does selfishness do? Selfishness looks out for yourself to the neglect and the hurt of others around. Because of me taking care of myself, what do I do? I oftentimes will neglect and I will hurt those around. We are living today in such a selfish society, which is completely opposite to what God calls us to be, and that's servants. To be servants, to be given. Read 1 Corinthians 13. Read how we should live. It's all about others. It's not about ourselves. It's trusting God to meet our needs as we reach out and touch other people. But today, it's not just a world issue. It's a church issue too. It's in many of us too. Selfishness. Selfishness. And as a result, because of our selfishness, our self-centeredness, It's resulted in many today sitting around us in the church who are wounded, hurt, and bitter. They've been offended. They've been offended. But through offense, you must realize this. You've got to realize this, that if you are offended and you have allowed yourself to be offended, you have fallen into Satan's trap. If you don't hear anything else I've said today, this is a good place to start. Because if you are offended, you can blow it off and say, oh, it's no big deal. I can handle that. No. If you have allowed offense to come into your heart, you've taken the bait and you are trapped in Satan's trap. You are in a place that God does not want you to be. We just read in Luke 17 verse 1, it's impossible that offense, that no offense will come. But we've got to understand this. What is our response to the offense? What is our response to it? Jesus made it clear that it's impossible to live in this world and not have the opportunity to become offended. But yet still, as believers, we find ourselves shocked. We find ourselves bewildered. We find ourselves amazed when it happens. Wow, I didn't see that one coming. But notice what the next thought pattern often is in our lives. And that is to throw it off of us back onto those who have offended us. Because we begin to tell ourselves and we begin to think that we are the only ones who have been wrong. What does that mentality begin to do to us when we think that we have been singled out from everyone else and we're the only ones that's been wrong? I'll tell you what that does. It separates us from the pack. It separates us from the pack. It leaves us on the edge where the enemy hunts. Anyone ever seen those wildlife programs? What does the lion or those who are hunting their prey, what do they do? They try to disrupt the group because they know in the strength of numbers, they cannot really prevail. So what do they do? They start that group running. They try to separate them. And it's the ones that fall off to the edge, the weak, the hurt. Oh, that's that word again, hurt. Those who are offended, they're the ones that drop to the edge. And what happens? They are susceptible to the attack of enemy, 
of the enemy. If we get offended, it separates us from the pack. It puts us in a position of vulnerability. It puts us in a position of further problems. It allows the root of bitterness to begin to rise up inside of us. Come on, say with me today, watch out. Come on, I can't live with that. Come on, I cannot live with bitterness in my heart. Today, you and I must be armed and prepared for the offenses. Because the way we respond will determine our future. The way we respond will determine our future. I said, the way we respond, well, I've got every right. They wronged me first. Huh. You better go back to God's word because that does not give you the right. I said, that does not give you the right. Does not give you the right at all. As you read further in Luke chapter 17, we see that Jesus challenges the disciples in the fact that there was opportunity that they would be wronged in their life. If someone comes to you and they do something against you, you can rebuke them. But if they repent, you must forgive them. Jesus goes on to say if seven times in a day someone does something wrong to you and seven times they come back and ask for forgiveness, Jesus said, you must forgive them. To this challenge or to this revelation, the disciples cried out to Jesus from Luke 17 and verse 5. They said, Jesus, increase our faith. They never asked for faith to do miracles, but they asked for faith to overcome the hurts and the pains that others would inflict upon their lives. You know what they cried out that day? They cried out the same cry that we cry every day. God, I can't do it. I can't forgive people. Come on, don't act holy with me today. It's hard to forgive those who have wronged, especially those who are close to us. Remember, it was the one that could slip through the crowd who was unrecognized, that could slip through unnoticed and stand before Jesus and kiss him was the one that was able to deceive him. From those who are closest to us. And we can look all around And we can say, well, I can't do that, Jesus. You need to know what they've done to me. And they haven't just done it once. It's a continual thing and they keep doing it to me. And Jesus is like, hey, every time your reaction and your response needs to be the same. That day they cried out, Jesus, I can't do it. But here's what they concluded. They said, I can only do it through divine intervention. That's what they said when they said, increase our faith. They said, Jesus, I can't do it. But with your faith, with your divine intervention in my life, I can do it. Come on, with divine intervention, with having our faith placed in God, we can do that. But it's still a choice that you and I have to make. We have to choose to forgive. We have to choose to release those who have offended our life. The Greek word for offend is scandalion. Scandalion. Which literally refers to the part of the trap to which the bait is attached. 
So when we offend people, it's literally like we are laying a trap out in someone's way to snag up and to captivate their life. Offense is a tool of the devil to bring people into captivity. And you may say, and, and, you, and you can say, well, you know what? God set me free. I'm no longer bad. The Bible says we have to walk in that liberty. We have to walk in that liberty. The liberty is available. It's there for us to walk in. But you know what? Through offense, we will not walk in the liberty. We will not walk in the victory of God. Uh, You can shout me down. You can say I disagree with you all you want. But I'm telling you from God's word, we see it. You will not move beyond your place of unforgiveness. Oh, you may have a bigger yard than the person around you. You may have a little bit more space that you think you've got liberty. But can I tell you today, try and get over the fence and see what what happens. That chain's going to grab a hold of you and hold you back. It's going to hold you back. That's why, you see, we live such boring lives as Christians, because we're never experiencing newness in God, because we can't go beyond the fence line of offense. The same thing every day. It's the same blade of grass over there. It's the same bush over there. It's the same tree over there. It's the same view over there. Our lives are boring. They're mundane. Come on, there's a new view that God has for you. Come on, there's new horizons that God has for you. But we've taken the bait. The bait of Satan. Listen to what Paul instructs Timothy further to do in regards to offense says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 and 26, and it says this, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and be patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, that if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth. Just stop there for a second. I think there's something here that we just can't read over and we cannot see. Because what I see here when I read this is, is, is this thought. Others, those who have perhaps wronged us, offended us, hurt us, but not just those, other people out there. The Bible tells us from what we just read that they will know the truth By our right response. What does it say? That we must not quarrel. We must be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in our position, that God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may know the truth. You know why our response is so important? Because our response can either bind others up or our response can set people free. If we're offended and we call ourselves Christian, what hope is there to those who are lost? What truth of the gospel are they seeing when God says, forgive those who despitefully use them, bless those who curse you? Come on, when they begin to see us as children of God who are supposed to live by a higher purpose and a higher calling, and then when they see us hurt and wounded and and fighting with each other and battling each other and doing all these kind of things, what kind of truth are they seeing in us? Come on, say amen, oh my, ouch, something today. You and I cannot afford to get caught up in the hurt of offense. For this reason, 
because our response to others is going to be wrong. Others will be affected. That through the way we conduct our lives and live, that they themselves may see the fact that God is able to forgive them. And they'll turn to the truth. Verse 26, and they will come to their senses and they will escape the snares of the devil or the snare of the devil. Literally, the entrapment, the trap, that they will escape the trap of Satan, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Those last few words there, it says, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Notice the him and the his are not capitalized. We're not talking about God's will here. I said, we're not talking about doing God's will here. It's not God's will, but it's rather fulfilling the plan and the purpose or the will of Satan. You see, to be held in offense or to be given over to offense means today that we have become a prisoner to the devil's will. Strong words today. But what did he say in verse 26? And that they would come to their senses and escape. Remember the prodigal son that he spent everything he had. He was partying and everything was good. But he did not come to his senses till he had lost everything. And thank God he came to his senses. But he was in a pig pen and he looked around him and said, What is this? Where do I find myself? I wonder of us, how many of us are Christians have an inheritance, but yet we're finding ourselves in a pig pen, struggling through life. But he came to his senses and said this, even if I am a servant in my father's house, I'll have a roof over my head, I'll have nice clothes, and I'll have food in my stomach. That they may come to their senses and escape. The picture that's been painted here is, how so many are unaware of their captivity. So many of us are Christians, are unaware of the fact that we're harboring unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness, and envy, anger, hatred, strife, animosity against other people. Satan's ploy is to bring us to that. Satan wants to deceive us. The Bible speaks about the one who is the deceiver. It's the devil. He wants to deceive. The Bible speaks that he would even deceive the very elect of God. In fact, you are a greater target to Satan than anyone else. Because you know why? He doesn't have you. And he wants to have control over your life again. He wants to control you. He wants to manipulate you. He wants to control your way of thinking. He wants to try to control your life. And he does it through deception. Through deceptive traps. Pastor Philip, I mean, you're making a big deal at this. All I've done is said, man, that person's an idiot and I'm never going to forgive them. You've got to see the big picture right here. Because that's how Satan works. It's just a little bit. 
But the Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. One bad apple in the barrel. It's going to rot the other ones too. Just takes a little. Amazing because of deception. Because of being deceived, we don't see it for what it is. We don't see it for what it is. It's not God's blessing upon our lives. And if it's not God, it's not good. If it's not God, it's not a part of your life. It's got no business to be a part of your life. The biggest problems we have in our lives is because we take all these things on board that are not God's blessing, God's prosperity, God's purpose for our lives. But because of offense or because of wrong choice, because of impatience, whatever it may be, because we step out of God's plan and purpose for our lives, we take on all these other things and we find ourselves deceived. The biggest tool of deception that Satan uses against every one of us is the tool of pride. The biggest tool of deception is pride. Many of you today probably wouldn't even have labeled pride as deception. But that's exactly what it is. Because what pride does, it causes us to be unable to see the true picture. We make a false image. We make up our own image of what we think things are instead of seeing the truth. The Bible speaks about that, that we can have the light in us, but yet be in darkness. We can be deceived and pride is one of the ways that Satan wants to deceive us. His greatest tool of deception. Why? Because pride will keep you from admitting your true condition. It masks the condition of your heart. It will keep you from dealing with the truth. It's amazing how many people today are living a lie instead of living in the truth of God. Remember what we said at the beginning? There may be partial fulfillment, but we're going to be handicapped and hindered in everything that God has when we allow things to limit our lives. We've got to be free from these limitations. Why? Because pride will mask our lives. We'd rather live a lie because guess what? Here's what makes it easier. If I live a lie, you know what I tell myself? It makes it the fault of everyone else and not my fault. So pride does. Because if I'm accepting the truth, it means I have to deal with the issues of my heart. Pride won't let you do that. My heart's perfect. Nothing wrong with me. I don't need that. I don't need your advice. I don't need... This or that, everything's all right with me. It's them, 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 them. I remember when Toby was here and he said that his dad got his report card home. The first semester on the report card, the teacher put, he disrupts the class. Toby looked at his dad and said, Dad, it's not my fault. It's the person who's sitting beside me. I mean, they talk to me all the time. And every time I tell them to be quiet, the teacher catches me and I get the bad report. Dad writes a note to the teacher, says, move him. Next semester, the report card comes back. He disrupts the class. Dad, it's the person I'm, Toby, I moved you. I know, but the person I'm sitting beside is just doing it again. 
dad lets it slide. But when the third report card comes back with a third different person sitting beside him and there is still disruptive in the class, the dad looks at Toby and says there is only one common denominator in this problem. And son, you are it. Pride. Pride. Not me. I mean, come on, look at me, for goodness sake. How could it be me? What pride says. I'm perfect. I'm Mary Poppins. I'm perfect in every way. We can't deal with pride with Band-Aids. You can't mask pride. Band-Aids are no longer the answer that we need. We cannot keep masking something that we need to get down and say, God, increase my faith to grab those things by the roots and get them out of my life. Preached a message once called, Dusting the cobwebs is no substitute to killing the spider. You can dust them, but guess what? If you don't kill the spider, they're going to be back. And they're going to be back. And they're going to be back. Pride will distort your vision. Pride will distort your vision, how you see things. Because you will never change when in your eyes everything is okay. Why is there a need to change when everything is okay? Pride will harden your heart. Listen to what God's Word says about pride. Proverbs 16 verse 18, pride goes before destruction. And a haughty, proudful, prideful spirit before a fall. Not good. Come on, not good. It's one of those verses I want to steer around. Come on, not meaning that I want to avoid, but I want to avoid the fact of having that because I don't want destruction or fall in my life. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says this, By pride comes nothing but strife. Nothing but strife. If you don't believe me, then believe Proverbs 13.10. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Pride will cause you to view yourself as a victim. Which I believe is one of Satan's greatest tactical deceptive attacks. Because now it's everyone else's fault. And not my own. But you know what pride will also do? It will begin to justify my wrong behavior. I was mistreated. I was misjudged. I was misunderstood. I was not given a chance. Therefore, the actions of my life are totally and completely justified. No, you're not. You don't have the right to justify your actions just because someone else has wronged you. Doesn't give you the right to justify your behavior. In fact, I'm going to tell you today, you're blinded to the truth. I was just reading this scripture the other day, just one day this week in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. It says, whose mind the God of this age has blinded. 
who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of the glory of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine on them. In whom the God of this age has blinded them. Pride will blind our mind. It will be a mind that will be blinded, shut off, be unable to see the gospel of truth. Here's one of the greatest downfalls of pride. Because you feel that you are a victim and that your actions are justified, you have therefore convinced yourself that you are innocent, I've been falsely accused, and therefore I have no reason to forgive. I've been wronged. I've been falsely accused. So therefore, it's them that needs to forgive me. Never me that needs to forgive them. Why should I forgive when I'm the one who's been hurt? I wonder what's speaking the control of our lives today. Is it God's word or is it the deception of pride? I wonder what it really is that's controlling our lives today. I wonder if it's God's word or I wonder if it's pride. Your true heart condition today may be hidden and masked to you, but it's not hidden from God. I love David. David has got to be one of my favorite people in the Bible because David's whole life is just so transparent before us. But I love what David says in Psalms 139. Look what he says in 139, verse 23 and verse 24. And he says these words. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me now and know my anxiety. And if there is any wicked way in me, lead me in the way which is everlasting. David became totally vulnerable to God. He opened up his whole life to God. And he says, God, with nothing held back, but every part given to you, I want to have total abandonment of pride. God, you search my heart. But you see, in order for God to search our hearts, we've got to open the door of our heart. Revelations 3.20, he knocks at the door. We have to open As we open our heart and say, God, search me. Today, I believe God wants to search some of those hearts that will open up to him. And see if there's any wicked way in me. You see, that's the only way that God can deal with those areas, with the problem of our life. Because without opening our lives, pride will make no room for God. Pride doesn't want God. Pride doesn't need God. I can do it on my own because that's what pride tells us. I bring this down to a close today. I want to try and show you quickly the answer to pride, the cure to pride. Because just because you're mistreated does not give you permission to hold on to an offense because two wrongs will never make a right. 
In the book of Revelations, chapter 3, verse 14 through 20, and you can read it later for the sake of time. I'm not going to go through it all. But Jesus addresses a church called the Laodicean church. It's otherwise known as the lukewarm church, where he says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spew you out of the mouth. But I want to look at verse 17 today. In verse 17 of Revelations 3, verse 14 through, or Revelations 3, verse 17 says this, because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. You see, what you've got to understand is Jesus is saying, because you say these things, this is how they viewed themselves. They viewed themselves as rich and as wealthy and as having need of nothing. They saw themselves as having all their lives together. When people look at us and say, how is life going? You know what? Oftentimes we'll say life is great, but are we confessing something that's not really truth because we know inside we're not living where we need to be? Oh, we're great. We're great. But notice this. They had mistaken their financial strength for their spiritual strength. Pride had hidden the true condition. And what does the Bible, what does God say to them in that great place of feeling really awesome and great about themselves? He looks at them and says, you don't even know that you are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor, blind and naked. Now talk about being brought to earth with a look at my life, it's great. But I wonder if we open up our heart like David and said, search me, oh God. I wonder if we're naked, wretched, poor, and miserable. But what does he go on to tell them? In verse 18, he says to them, I counsel you, I tell you today to buy from me gold. But not just any gold. That which is refined in the fire. He goes on to say that you may be rich, that you may be clothed. That you may be once again pleasing to me is what God is saying. Refined gold. What's so special about refined gold? It's gold that is soft and pliable. It's gold that is free from corrosion and other impurities. When gold is mixed with other metals such as copper, iron and nickel, etc., it becomes hard and less pliable. It becomes more corrosive and that mixture is called an alloy. Therefore, the higher percentage of foreign materials, the harder and less pliable the gold is. Do you see what God is trying to show them a picture of here? A pure heart is like pure gold, that which is refined, that which is soft and pliable. Where Hebrews 13 verse 12 through, or Hebrews 3 verse 12 through 13 tells us that the hearts or our hearts are hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So if we don't deal with the offense, it will produce more fruit in our lives, such as bitterness, anger, resentment, and all these things which makes our heart hard, which removes our tenderness and creates a loss of sensitivity even to God. And as a result of a hardened heart, you and I will be hindered in our ability to hear God. 
It all begins and ends with relationship, remember? Help me, Jesus. I'm trying to close. Stay with me. To refine gold, it's got to be ground into powder. It's got to be crushed. And it's got to be mixed with a substance which they call flux. Then, after it's mixed, it is put together in a furnace and melted by intense heat. And as the heat is turned up, the impurities or the alloys, they are drawn into the flux. And they rise to the surface. Why? Because the gold is more precious and of greater value and it's heavier and it falls to the bottom. The impurities or the dross, as they call it, is then scooped off the top, leaving behind only that which is pure. How does God remove pride? Offense, bitterness, animosity, those things from our life. God, many times, through the furnace of afflictions, trials, and tribulations. Because when the heat is turned up, it will begin to separate the impurities such as unforgiveness, strife, bitterness, anger, envy leaving only the character or the image of God inside of our lives. Here's where I get the title for our message today. When the buttons are pushed, when people do to us, when the wrong buttons are pushed, but perhaps they're the right buttons that are being pushed. It's amazing how easily... We can hide in our hearts offense, pride, all these things where there is no heat of trial or affliction. But through the fire, our true character is discovered. Come on, when your buttons are pushed, what's really seen? I read this this week. It says, even in times of prosperity and success, a wicked man can even appear to be kind and generous. Come on, during during times of prosperity and blessing, everything's honky-dory, everything's great. Even a wicked man can be seen as kind and generous. But when the buttons are pushed, when the temperature is turned up, the impurities are going to surface. You see, God uses the opportunities of offense in our lives to purify us. What we think is Satan's tool to take us down, God says it's my way of producing a greater blessing in your life. Through the trials and the times of offense, there can be times of great joy and blessing that God himself can be seen in us. God uses these things to purify our life. We don't like the heat. God, I've heard people say this all the time. Well, why couldn't God use any other means? Because you know why? We're so prideful and we wouldn't listen. He has to get us so many times on our knees before we'll stop and realize and say, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. No one likes the heat. But instead of focusing on the heat, we need to look at the rewards of the heat. Through the heat, through the fire, 
Come on, it wasn't till the three men got in the fire that the fourth man appeared. Come on, there's something that we can find in the fire. What happened to those men? Only those things that held them bound were burnt up. That they were walking around in the midst of the fire. Come on, what do you think Satan means for harm? God says, I want to promote you. I want to bless you. I want to bring you through. Those words, Satan means to bring you down. But God says, let me use that offense to bring you up. To promote you and bless you. We don't like the heat, but listen to me as I close. Until the heat is applied, no impurities will surface. Everything's fine. Pushing it down, everything's fine. Just because the impurities have not surfaced doesn't mean they're not there. Just because the impurities are hidden doesn't mean... They're not there. Why? Pride's a blanket. Pride will cover them. Today, you and I have a choice that I believe will determine our future. You and I have a choice that will determine our future. You can remain angry. You can blame your wife. You can blame your friends. You can blame your pastor. You can blame all those around you. Or you can choose to see the dross of sin in your life. And repent and ask God to remove them. Because you see, as we repent and ask God, he begins to take that ladle and he begins to scoop off those things, those impurities that have no business being a part of our lives. And we can turn around and say, Pastor, you're not preaching the truth because when I'm saved, I'm free. Yes, you are free, but you know what? We can find ourselves bound in our freedom. We can find ourselves held captive. We need to allow God's ladle. Because don't care how saved you are, you can have unforgiveness in your life. Don't care how saved you are, you can be one of the most prideful people on the face of this earth. God, repent, repent. God, take that ladle and remove the impurities from my life. You know what that's called? Receiving His forgiveness. It's so easy to find fault in others. But today the, sh- the focus has been shifted. It's about your heart today. It's about your pride today. It's about your unwillingness to totally yield to God. As you have allowed the bait of offense to control your life. The fire reveals who you really are. The fire reveals who you are. There is no excusable excuse for a believer who is seasoned in the word of God to ever become offended. There is no excusable excuse for a believer who knows God's word to allow offense to come into his heart. Because offense is a choice. The opportunities are there, but I choose to let it in. The fire reveals who I am. And can I tell you something today and be completely honest with you? Personally, that can be a rude awakening. When the fires heat up, you begin to realize this. 
what you think you are compared to what God knows you are. It's a lot further apart than you thought. What you think you are compared to what God knows you are can be a lot further apart than you think. Search me, O God. Know my heart. See your true condition today and become free from any offense that you are harboring, that you're holding on to. Don't let pride today stop you from seeing the real you. But even in seeing the real you today, you see there's hope through the gospel because God doesn't condemn you. He convicts you. God doesn't write you off. Our cry needs to be like the disciples. God, increase my faith. God, give me divine intervention. Help me in my life. I can't do it on my own, but I have to open up my life to you. and Let you come in. Don't let pride keep you from seeing what's in your heart and stop you from repenting before God. The bait of Satan, rock of offense, pride. Victim mentality. I don't have to forgive. They're the one. God says, refined gold. Brush me, God. Turn up the heat, God. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At HeartSeas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.